Greetings, playtimers, young and old. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I'm a child therapist from Asheville, North Carolina, and this is a podcast dedicated to children and play therapy, coming at both of those things from a child-centered perspective. And my apologies if you don't want to be referred to as a playtimer just because you're listening to this podcast. But without further ado... Or wait, maybe with a some further ado, it appears that uh, I forgot to put in the advertisement for this week's um, playtime. And our fictional ad from this week comes from Andrew's Pharmacy, so uh, let's, uh, let's give that a listen. Hi, welcome to Andrew's Placebo Pharmacy. How can I help you? Well, it's my, my son. He's, uh, he's having a spot of the uh, ADHD, and it turns out that uh, we took him to the school counselor, and they recommended that we see a psychiatrist. Ah, well, um, this isn't a psychiatrist's office. Yes, but uh, we heard about you from a friend. We thought we'd try here first. Well, wonderful. Yes, I mean, certainly seeing a psychiatrist and going and getting some pharmaceuticals is, is one option that works for some people, but we do a different thing here at the placebo pharmacy. And what would be that thing that you do? Well, I would like to let you know that placebos in some studies that'll be in the show notes have been found to help children with ADHD. A, a, a placebo? Like, is there any, what, like, what's in it? Well, the ones that we give out here are just water or sugar. They could dissolve in your mouth or you could swallow them. And it just has to be taken at the same time each day while keeping in mind, if you like, what you're taking it for. Well, that's that's the thing, you see. I, I just don't want to... Well, I know it sounds silly, but I don't want to lie to the boy. You know, I want to be honest with him about it, and I, and I get worried with this placebo thing. I mean, we're telling him it's it's going to do something, but it, it's just a sugar pill. You know what I mean? I do. I do know what you mean. But here is the craziest thing about placebos. Are you ready? Yeah. The craziest thing about placebos is that you won't have to lie at all. We'll tell your child exactly what's going on. They'll know that it's just a sugar pill. But even when people know that it's a placebo, they find that it still helps. Well, that's that's unbelievable. You know what? I think we're going to try this first. Instead of uh, heading over to the old psychiatrist's office, why don't we give this thing a shot? Well, I think that's a I think that's a great idea. Why don't I bring the boy in tomorrow and we'll, and we'll do a full assessment. Great. Well, have a nice day. You too. Goodbye. From Andrew's Placebo Pharmacy. Well, great. I'd like to thank uh, Andrew's Pharmacy for being the uh, the first fictitious sponsor of Playtime. But then without further ado, let's get to the topic of the day. Emotional autonomy. And I think maybe as a culture, at least here in the United States, there's a lot more focus on attachment with parenting. I, I see a lot of parents who are familiar with attachment theory, who 
have an understanding of what that is and for whom it's important that they have a secure attachment with their child. And a brief and probably poor short description of attachment theory is that it posits that you learn a certain kind of attachment behavior with your primary caregiver, and if that attachment is secure, that you could carry that secure attachment into the rest of your relationships with the world or something like that, but that if the attachment there is insecure or inconsistent, or lacking in some way, or reactive in some way, then that person might have a attachment relationship to people they would meet in the future that might be more complicated, and they could be more reactive and uh, than they would be otherwise based on how they were brought up. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's kind of the nuts and bolts of attachment theory. And overall, having an understanding that the way that you connect with another human being, especially if that human being is a child, is important. And that being present with them and being respectful of them and connected to them is important. And that's that's something that's good for all of us to be aware of all of the time. But a conversation I've had with, say, caregivers who are familiar with attachment theory is sometimes they can be concerned or anxious about whether their child has a secure attachment with them and what they assume that that secure attachment would look like. So inside of that, there can be this assumption that it's like, okay, if we have a secure attachment, that means that when they're feeling upset that they're going to come to me with the thing that they're feeling upset about and they're going to be able to be honest with me and that if they are not communicative with me regarding being upset or they had lied or something like that that that's some demonstration that the attachment they have with me isn't good then the primary caregiver is taking responsibility for that attachment not being good and is maybe entering into connections with that child hoping for some kind of connection from that child back to them and when that doesn't happen it's like ah shoot we have a bad attachment And I think what comes up for me a lot of times when I'm having those conversations and when I'm thinking about what might be helpful for that particular child or what that particular child is doing and how to respect them and what they're doing and how to give space for what they're doing is to be able to name that we we all deserve emotional autonomy. Regardless of what our age is, we all we all deserve emotional autonomy. We all deserve the right to to not share what's coming up for us at a particular period of time. And to have that not be something that would be judged by other people. There are there are times when maybe something's not ready to be talked about or the child knows it's not going to be talked about in the right sort of way. Or children, especially if you're a play therapist, children have a way of moving through their emotional experience through play and working through some of their difficulties through play that often might not actually be talked about on this conscious adult-style conversation kind of level. And what for me really separates child-centered play therapy, or really any kind of child-centered therapy, apart in a way that that I identify very strongly with child-centered therapy, is that in a session we're never trying to get a child to talk about a particular thing or to do a certain thing or to feel a certain way about something at all that's just not that's just not part of what we're doing if we've got pretty good boundaries sometimes maybe an adult in a child's world would be like hey can you talk to this child about x i could be like well thank you for letting me know about x the more information the better 
I can't promise you that I'm going to talk to them about it. If they bring it up with me, I will talk to them about it. But I might, I'm not, I can't promise you that I'm going to talk to them about this thing. Like you could talk to them about that thing if you would like, or whatever that conversation looks like to protect the space. And what we're protecting when we make those boundaries is that the child does have emotional autonomy inside of the space. The session will go the places where they want it to go. And they get to choose how we get there. And kids will often share and play therapy. I mean, if you're someone who does play therapy, you end up talking to kids. They talk a lot sometimes about their life. Sometimes they just play. Some kids talk more than others. Some kids will naturally bring up a lot of the difficulties in their world. And I think some of that has to do, right, with like, I at least start my therapy session one a lot of times, like letting the child know, like, this is what has been told to me about you. I'm going to get on the same page with you. If they're at an age where it feels, you know, if they're like three, that doesn't always happen. But in general, I like to at least start on a level playing field with them and not be keeping things from them. But then they get to genuinely decide how the sessions go. And maybe they sometimes speak to those things because it's been said by me or their parents are like, hey, you're going for X, Y, and Z reasons. But regardless, when they bring those things up, it's on their terms. And I do believe that children are able to get to more valuable and interesting and sometimes, honestly, just dark places inside of their play in a space where they have an emotional autonomy and in a space where they have emotional freedom. There's this book I really like that I may have mentioned on this podcast before. It's called A Way to the Soul of the Mentally Ill, and it's by this woman named Gertrude Schwing. And she started off as a psychiatric nurse and eventually got um, psychoanalytic training. And she was working like in the 30s and 40s in psychiatric hospitals. We don't we don't have to go into a laundry list of the just vile atrocities that were committed against people who were supposedly mentally ill during that time. But uh, it's you know, if you don't know much about it, it's worth a Google search. But when she was working at that time, she was practicing something that was fully accepting of the patients where they were at. And the people that she worked with said that she just kind of embodied this presence. And in her book, she describes like being with someone and letting them flow with whatever's coming out of them. It's like, okay, you're rubbing your feces all over the walls here. Like, let's not do that. But like getting some Play-Doh. So I'm like, she would get brown Play-Doh. She's like the original play therapist, but working with people who were suffering from severe mental illness. And people around her were amazed that she was able to work with these people without restraints, but she was letting them be themselves. And that was a path for many of these people back towards balance and back towards health to being able to genuinely move through what was coming through them because she gave them their emotional autonomy. She allowed them to be themselves completely. She didn't judge the things that were coming out of them. And allowing someone full emotional autonomy is harder than it sounds. It means like genuinely not wanting to change them at all. It means genuinely not wishing they were talking about something different, genuinely not wishing the play would move in a certain kind of direction, genuinely not wishing that they weren't pushing X, Y, or Z boundary. When they talk about school and they're like, yeah, school's just stupid, like not wishing that they didn't feel that way and allowing them the autonomy to feel that way. And so what worries me, I think, sometimes is that, say you're an adult in a child's world and that child is upset about something. 
and you know that they're upset about something and you want them to not feel upset about something, right? You actually, you want them to feel better from a good place, right? We all want everyone around us to feel better all the time, ideally. But I do think it's important when we interact with children, not from a place of like setting a boundary or a limit or something, right? That's a different conversation. The boundaries of the boundaries or rules or rules or whatever else. But if we're entering into a place when we're talking to with a child and we want them to feel better, and especially as a therapist, but you know, as any adult, we have to give them the space to be angry about something, to be judging something harshly, to be even maybe judging us harshly. The space to think something is stupid. The space to think something is unfair. The space to think something is a waste of their time. The space to just have a shitty day. The space to receive some bad news and feel like shit and not want to talk about it. And then the space to talk about it on their terms without trying to change where they're at with it. And I, I do believe that that emotional autonomy is a, it's a core part of being child-centered. And that kids, kids benefit and grow from that space. And they need that space. We all, we all have the right to, uh, to an inner world and to boundaries and to choose what we, we share and, and don't share. And like attachment's important. And I think it's, it's become part of our just understanding of, of human beings to understand attachment, to understand how we all affect each other and to know it more deeply. And if attachment theory takes us closer to that, fantastic. But I often find myself as a therapist talking just as much, if not more sometimes, about emotional autonomy and making sure that that's something that we value and hold as being just as important as attachment. And that is all for this episode of Playtime. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, head to barnetchildtherapy.com to see more of my work or you can also uh, support the show at uh, patreon.com slash playtime podcast or the support the show link though it is offered for free and in the spirit of the gift like all podcasts and I've been having a little bit of an existential crisis with the show lately trying to figure out what it is or where I want it to go and what it looks like and I say all of that to say that I'll keep pumping out episodes as they come up but it could be a little bit more in free until I get my head and heart on straight. But yep, I hope everyone's good out there.